0: The season leading up to Christmas and to the winter solstice is marked by a quality of breakdown, a quality where the shadow elements of our being can emerge to be cleared, making way for that day represented by the solstice and also by Christmas, where the light returns, where something in us re-emerges out of the dark shadowy elements of our being. This episode is an encouragement. To discover that inner luminosity once again. Well, I've been inspired to talk a little bit about Christ further, because at this time of year, it usually happens sometime around mid-November, late November. I feel it. It's like a distinct moment where um, this energy turns, and we you know we enter, like when the fall is initiated, the autumn is initiated, it initiates this cycle of decomposition and deconstruction, right? Mm-hmm. And, it, and it, goes, it goes all the way until the solstice, until, until Christmas. The energy of Christmas is more potent than the energy of the solstice. But, you know, there's this gradual breaking down of everything, deconstruction, mm-hmm. in preparation for total darkness, right? Which is mm-hmm. then the preparation for the emergence of light, right, the spark of light in the darkness, the, the star, that Christ is born under, right? Mm. And uh, mm. so at this time of year, the energy of of Christ, the presence of Christ is so strong. It's so palpable. Every day, every day, I'm just moved to tears by it in one form or another. And uh, so it's on my heart to see what kind of justice we can do to that in this format. What do you think?
1: Hmm. I think that's a really beautiful way of, of looking at it. Um, I'm heartened every time I hear a message that approaches the holidays from uh, you know a, very, a much more introspective and meaningful angle um, because I think that, well, I mean, this is nothing that isn't common wisdom, but it gets so lost in the way we celebrate in the West. And I think there's so much potency in that image of the darkness intensifying before the light is able to illuminate it. Yep. I think it speaks not just to the energy behind the season, but also um, I think the way many of us traverse certain passages on the spiritual path is that we have to go deep into that darkness before we're, the ground is sort of prepared. or our um, It's almost like the darkness needs to be very profound in order for that spark to become visible to us. Because if there's too much background noise, if there's too much static, you know, like a TV screen, um, it'll be lost. Right. So even though it may be uncomfortable for us, or it might be, you know, there may be some suffering involved as we go into that darkness, if we're willing to accept it and welcome it for what it is, notice, you know, being conscious Mm -hmm. of what it's there for then that contrast you know the the spark the light that comes forth is that much more brilliant yeah
0: truly and that's you know that speaks also to the to the resurrection not the resurrection sorry the, the return of christ right that when things reach their most mm-hmm. perverted when things meet, reach their most uh, destructive nature when everything has gone mm-hmm. is so far against the, the Tao and and against the nature of good right, when that darkness swells, it's like a pregnancy, right, we don't see what's inside the belly of it, but Mm -hmm. it swells, and then it's about to give Mm -hmm. birth to something, and what it gives birth to is that return of the good, that return of beauty, and that's what we celebrate, even in celebrating the solstice, which I'm not as much a fan of, but it's that, okay, we've reached, the belly is full, it's swollen all the way, and now light returns. Now it comes again, right? Mm-hmm. Now it is here, is with us again. Um, and of course, that speaks to every human being's individual cycle that they pass through. Because every year, you know, we acquire, accumulate, and then we go through a deconstruction, preparing the way for mm-hmm. the light, preparing the way for a new year, all of those things, right? It reminds me of like in the, what is the phrase? Is it is it Christ he says, uh Behold, I make all things new. Right? That way in which all things are made mm. new through that deconstruction and that mm. re-emergence of light.
1: I, I think, too, the, the cycle that we're talking about, There's in, in the increasing, in the burgeoning darkness, there's also the temptation to lose faith. You know, oh yeah. We can go into this very deep, maybe nihilism isn't the right word, but you begin to feel like there's no coming back from that right it's just it's all it's all gone to hell it's all <laughs> it's all destroyed um and then and then when christ arises again or the light returns you realize how misguided that was and yeah. how the thing that's real is always still there it's always solid it's still dependable it just gets hidden mm-hmm. you know it gets hidden be- behind our catastrophizing or our whatever manner we have of um bemoaning <laughs> <laughs> whatever that darkness is for us individually uh-huh. and um you know and we see that collectively it's uh, especially in when there's a lot of turmoil in the world there's you know the hand wringing and the the doom scrolling and the <laughs> um it's so tempting to get pulled down into that um but then when you come out and you see that oh the good still exists the good mm. is still here it can still return it can still illuminate mm-hmm. and it is still in me yeah. um and then the other stuff just kind of seems silly it gets mm. recalibrated mm. um to its proper dimension.
0: Mhm. Yeah, the good is indestructible. And that's that's why the good always yeah. wins because it's the one thing that's indestructible is the good. It's just it's always there.
1: Yeah, isn't that isn't that fascinating?
0: Yeah, no matter what breaks down, the good is what remains, right? That's why there's there's cause for there's cause for ultimate optimism because no matter how bad things get, it's all part of breaking down so that the good that is indestructible can finally reveal itself again. Right? And, and we, get, we get hung up in the process yeah. of, of how the deconstruction looks and feels, and we forget about the good that is there right. as the, as the uh, eschaton, as the final result. I love that word, by the way, burgeoning. Burgeoning, That's a, what a great word.
1: <laughs> burgeoning. Burgeoning. <laughs> English major. <laughs> this is good, yes. But I mean, there's, we're fascinated with the breakdown. See, this is a thing that... Uh, I don't know. I guess it amuses me about human nature sometimes is that the things that we're afraid of, you know, the darkness, the scary things that we don't know about that we think are in the dark, um, you know, we're terrified of them and we try to avoid them. And yet we're simultaneously fascinated with them because there's something beautiful about the breakdown. Mm -hmm. There's something thrilling about it. There's something about that ridding ourselves of the false. And I think that's what all of these cycles do is every time there's a breakdown is something false is washed out. You know, it gets set aside, it's no longer needed, and then, you know, we arise again through the next cycle. So it's not like everything's going uh, downhill or everything's crashing to the ground. It's just the stuff that's not needed. Um, You know, so just as the tree is still there in the spring when the leaves begin to come back and it's still alive, um, you know, now now it can grow anew. Now it can get a little bit taller, but it's lost. It's shed, you know, the detritus of the previous season.
0: Yes. Uh, I just want to remark for a moment that as you were mentioning the breakdown earlier, it brought to mind a poem by Rumi, and uh, there's a section of the poem where he says, not until faithfulness turns to betrayal and betrayal into trust, can any human being become part of the truth. And, you know, we look at faith as something that we want to we want, we want faith to remain solid and unwavering, but our faith itself has to break down. What we have had faith in mm. has to break down, right? We have faith in our persona. We have faith in our identities. We have faith in our the outward structure of our life. We have faith in the sunshine, whatever it is, and that has to break down. Because everything that is uh, impermanent, everything that is ephemeral has to break down to reveal What is truly indestructible, right? And that's really, to me, that's the whole message of Christ. That's the whole message of what he stood for was like, even in the perishing of the body, the truth doesn't die, right? Even when everything collapses, the Christ returns in the end, because it's always, that's always the final result. And like you were saying, if we can just have our eyes and our hearts set on what is the good that is coming beyond this breakdown? And remember, see that's the real faith. The faith isn't—it mm. isn't that position where things are as I want them to be, and therefore I have faith. That faith breaks down. That's not real faith. Faith is being mm. able to see the coming good amidst the breakdown, right? And uh, and for that, what we have had faith in has to deconstruct. It has to break down. So that what's real, or deeper, or what's coming as the next greatest truth to be revealed to us in our lives, it, so that it can come.
1: I was, um, I was actually thinking about that today because I came across a, I think it was a post online, uh, that was outlining the difference between faith and belief. Oh, yeah. In fact, here I just pulled it up. This was posted on one of the uh, pages that's devoted to Yogananda. It's from The Essence of Self-Realization by Yogananda. And the quote is as follows. Faith is different from belief. Faith is rooted in experience. Belief is provisional faith. Belief is necessary in the beginning. Without it, people wouldn't trouble to seek God. Mere belief, however, is not enough. When people remain satisfied with their beliefs, their religion becomes dogmatic, and therefore closed to further growth. I say make spiritual practice, not belief, your dogma. Don't remain satisfied even with regular meditation until you have found God. So this to me is kind of the same message, which is that our beliefs have to break down. And then we see the proof that Mm -hmm. the proof of what was behind those beliefs. And then and that becomes faith. Yes.
0: You know, when Christ when Christ repeats and says, Love your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength, and he doesn't say with all of the mental structure of your beliefs, <laughs> right? Right. Right. The heart, the devotional heart that touches faithfulness, it transcends mm-hmm. any belief system, and we should never be satisfied with belief, right? But like, like Yogananda is saying, belief is only a, a segue. It's only a bridge to the real thing. Never yeah. is it faith, mm-hmm. never.
1: I was having a... Um Discussion with a friend yesterday, in fact, and uh, for some reason with this friend, I, uh, we always end up talking about religion, <laughs> and, and, I always, and I noticed that they're always um, defending their agnosticism, and, which is kind of funny to me, because I'm not making a case for anything for, to them. It's just like they sort of instinctively need to defend it to me for some reason. Uh, but anyway, he said, um, I don't believe in Jesus, and I said, well, that's a shame And he goes, well, why is it a shame? You know, and kind of went into this defensiveness. And so I I, I said, well, you know, not that you can believe whatever you want. I'm not here to tell you what to believe. But it's a shame that you don't believe in him, you know, as a teacher, uh, that he existed and walked the earth and and was a profoundly transformational teacher. He said, well, I wanted to believe. He'd fallen in love with somebody once where, um, you know, they were Christian, and he was going to convert uh, in order to be with this person. And... Um, He said, and I asked Jesus to give me a sign and nothing happened. So I just concluded that none of it was real. And I didn't really know what to do with that because I wanted to sort of like make the case that, well, you didn't try hard enough or, you know. But after I thought about it later, um, I realized that, you know, when you're coming from the head and you're demanding like scientific proof for something, you're not going to get it because the proof that we receive comes through the heart. It comes from the experiences of, of that love which is something that can't be sort of categorized or pointed to by the yeah. brain. It's, uh, you know, I don't know if any of that makes yep. sense, but <laughs> if you can pull something out it of does. that to, to flesh out.
0: Well, I think it, it makes sense to a lot of things that we could talk about. I mean, one is the sincerity of our desire to know God, to know Christ, right? Mm-hmm. And um, that, that's an important ingredient. Like you said, to want that from our heart, not our head. Because the head, you know, is good, but it's just, it's not, doesn't have the amplitude of the heart. And, um, and I think one of the problems too is, I had this discussion one time with someone and we were talking about, okay, consider this. This is one of the ways I like to approach this conversation about believing in Christ. <clears throat> because I'm, I'm, I'm perfectly content to have a conversation with someone that says, okay, Christ of the Bible is a completely fictional character. Okay? We can start with that angle even if we want to. Okay. First of all, someone came up with that character. Okay. So it deserves to be said that whoever came up with that character had some kind of extraordinary brilliance taking place inside of them. Whatever that extraordinary brilliance was taking place inside the person who made up the story of Jesus is itself Christ.
1: <laughs> oh, there you right? go. <laughs> I like that. Whether you
0: believe in this historical character or not, the brilliance that gave birth to the actual person or the fictional character, it's the same thing, right? Furthermore, everybody in this life is modeling themselves after something, Mm -hmm. something. You're either looking at social media or you're looking at magazines or you're looking at your pals or you're looking to your parents or you're looking, you're looking somewhere for how to model yourself for how to live this life. And you may not realize you're doing that. You may be doing that very unconsciously. You may be doing that in any number of ways. But you're always, we are always following something. We are always paying attention to something that is informing how we live. Mm -hmm. So the question I like to ask people is, can you imagine a higher, more potent example of what you could model yourself after than the story of Christ in the Bible? And if you can imagine a higher, more sophisticated, more powerful way to carry yourself through the world than that, by all means, fucking do it. Mm. But I can't. I haven't found a higher example through which to model myself than that. Mm. I mean, the problem that I find is people who often don't believe in Christ, don't believe in the Bible, they haven't fucking read the Bible. Sorry, I should stop swearing. They haven't (laughs) read the Bible. They don't actually know what Christ said. All they know is what their distorted religious right. figures or people who called themselves Christian who actually aren't told them.
1: Right, yes.
0: And of course you don't believe in that because neither do I. There's a great, uh, I'll just finish with this. There's a, an Orthodox father, Father Stephen um, Freeman. He says, tell me the God that you don't believe in, because I bet I don't believe in that God either. Yeah. Right? And, and that's kind of the thing, is that when it comes around to it, the agnostic, the atheist, and the true, truly faithful have a lot more in common than they may realize.
1: Yeah, that's a really good point. And, and I liked what you said, too, about how we have this, how did you say it, desire for faith or desire to explore that, that impulse? And, and see, this is the thing about the friend that I'm, describing is i sense that longing to me that's almost palpable Mm. i don't think i'm projecting that either i think there really is a a sense of confusion that wants to be solved but there's the the fear of surrender the fear of looking silly of believing in something that's not real or becoming one of those you know Mm. scary in your face kind of people with the religious stuff and um yeah. and yeah yeah that that would have been a good um I'll keep that in mind for next time. that would have been a good angle to take because yeah. christ as as you and I I think have come to understand him is nothing like the caricature that's presented sometimes or or the uh distorted practices that some people invoke in his name mm.
0: yeah well there again you see, you see the difference between what belief produces and what faith produces. Yes. Entirely yes. different results. And, e- and even in the midst of church, I mean, I, I know true Christians and I know false ones. And mm-hmm. the, one of the significant differences is the difference between those who are faithful and those who are believers. It's a huge difference. Yeah. You know, faith, faith produces knowing, not belief. Belief doesn't produce knowing. It produces more believing. And belief doesn't have heart, it doesn't have charge, it doesn't have spirit behind it. Faith does.
1: Yeah. Belief is very much of the ego because it almost gives you license to um, satisfy the ego in ways that are not born of knowing, that are not coming from the wisdom of of a committed practice and the experience of grace and love and those things.
0: Mm -hmm. You touched on something important there. One of the things that belief does is it alleviates the anxiety of not knowing. And so yes. that's why you see people become fundamentalist or rigid or dogmatic is because it gives a person a false position of certainty.
1: Exactly, yeah.
0: And, and that feels secure.
1: Yeah, you know that's why people cling to things sometimes or they choose an orientation sometimes because it, as you said, it alleviates that sense of not knowing, that sense of Yeah, being lost. Um, But that's all the darkness that we're talking about that needs to be dispelled, that needs to be broken down in the course of discovering what the true light is.
0: Mm -hmm. I like the way you just brought that around again. Yep. Right, yeah. Belief has to break down. False constructs have to break down. And that's what is eventually, if we're earnest in our desire for what's true, what's real, that's what we want. We want disillusionment. We want our illusions to be deconstructed so that what we have is real. And even even a person who just wants to be authentic, an authentic human being, wants that. They don't want to live a lie. Nobody, want, nobody sincere wants to live a lie. We want truth. We want veracity. We want to, to live a life of, of genuineness and authenticity. And anybody who wants that, who wants the illusory, the false, the persona, the facade, To be undone. That's why Rumi can say, do not seek for love. Seek only the boundaries you've built against it. Seek only the facade. Seek only the barrier. Seek only the false. Seek to deconstruct that. That's it. The love will reveal itself.
1: That's beautiful. We alluded um, kind of to this same process in, I don't know if it was the previous episode or maybe the one before that, but talking about how, you know, most people just want to be seen, S-E-E-N. Mm. And when we say want to be seen, we're not talking about the outer shell. We're not talking about the outer presentation. We're talking about the truth of what we are. And there's this instinctive need for that. Um, I'm trying to, like, feel it in my body right now because it's, it's frustrating and it's exhausting to us, to have to be living in our personality all the time and to relate from that personality with other people and it 's the easiest thing in the world to simply be the truth of what your awareness is or the truth of your purest qualities, um, mm-hmm. and yet the world is not set up for that. The world is always rewarding us for the false self for you know the labels we 've applied to ourselves or the achievements we 've cum- accumulated or the stuff whatever it is for us um, mm-hmm. so the truth that we 're seeking is not just the truth of um, our perception of what's available to us, you know, what the world, what our reality is. We're also seeking this inner acknowledgement of the truth of our own divinity.
0: Well, yes, right? You are the light of the world, Christ says, right? And if you deep, deep down know that you are the light of the world, but you've never been recognized... In that way you've never been seen that way because your parents Mm -hmm. couldn't and your teachers couldn't and your friends couldn't and your whomever you know maybe you were lucky and you had a person or two in your life who could see you for the beauty and goodness that exists in you right and by those people we feel so met so touched so deeply impacted right and here's the i think the important message of the season that i'm feeling as a result of what you're saying we spend so much of our life wanting to be seen, so much of our life wanting that sense of meaning and the love that comes with that. What we don't consider is that if we turn our gaze to looking at others and seeing them, seeing the God in them, seeing the beauty in them, that very desire to be seen is fulfilled. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's satisfied. Right? And I think that's the message. When you realize you are the light of the world is like you are here to shine the light of seeing. You are here to see and witness others in their beauty and in their holiness. I think yeah. that's part of what we're here for. And I think it's what this season is encouraging because this season also has something to do with let's lay down our debts. Let's, let's, pr- let's move into forgiveness. Let's remember what really matters here.
1: Well, I think the thing about Jesus that was so infuriating to people was that he was his pure self. He was the truth with no Mm -hmm. filter, you know, no egoic shell around it. And people Mm -hmm. must have felt that and without being able to articulate it, understood their own falseness, like instinctively became aware of, of the contrast between his authenticity and their own inauthenticity. And so, you know, that's where the malevolence came came from toward him, you know, in the persecution mm-hmm. of his followers. Mm-hmm. Um, we were actually talking kind of about this same topic in satsang the other day, and I've referred to this sometimes as the thing you're talking about as that piercing vision, you know, when we use our vision actively to, to pierce through the nonsense that people surround themselves with, including ourselves, you know, and see through to the divinity underneath and how that's a redemption, how that's a sanctification, that, that active seeing. I mean, you're God connecting with God, aren't you? Just, you know, God looking out of your eyes and seeing itself in the other. And there's a palpable experience of that in people. I think people have mm-hmm. a varying level of awareness of it. But I think that is the most loving act there is, mm-hmm. uh, is, is to see, to see the pure mm-hmm. essence of another, unvarnished, you know, by all the worldly coverings.
0: Right. Amen. Amen. And you said something there that I real I really wanted to come back to, which was you using the example of Jesus. And this is true of any master is that you know, people it's not what the master teaches. It's not what they say, it's not what they do, it's not how many good acts, like how many people they helped, whatever. It's their presence that actually does the work because what the master's presence does is it reveals falseness because when you're in the master's presence you feel the love, the wisdom, the beauty, the expansiveness, all of those things. And what that automatically does is it highlights your own limitations. Mm. Because the moment you encounter it, you're like, oh, and that's really like, that really gets into what the judgment aspect of God really is. When, when, you, when you approach somebody in falseness, and they approach you in love, you will start to feel a kind of... It's not that you're being judged by the person who loves. It's that you start to feel the judgment collapse in on yourself because yes. you're realizing where you are small. You're realizing where you are limited in the presence of this unlimited being that's mm-hmm. in front of you. And I like I, I like that point a lot that you made because it's the master's presence, Christ's presence. It highlights falseness. That's what it does. It shines a light on falseness. And for those who wish to conceal their falseness... It's terrifying. It's scary. Yeah. We, we resort to defenses to protect against that. But mm-hmm. for someone who wants truth, it's like, you know, the shirt is thrown open. Shine the light. Yes. Shine the light. Mm-hmm. Right? I, I'm exposed.
1: I've, I've been reading a lot of stories about uh, Ram Dass' guru, Baba named Karoli, uh, lately. And there are so many examples of him having that kind of an effect on people, where his love was so pure and so intense that you know, people would just collapse into sobbing in front of him, And I think it was that very process that you're describing here where the ego just could not stay intact in the presence of that pure love. You know, it just crumbled, everything Mm -hmm. fell, you know, just like a suit of armor collapsing to the ground, crashing down and, um, and people were transformed in, in moments and, I encourage anybody who's interested in such things to, to read stories about him because I've been reading about him for a couple of years now and um, I, I actually kind of consider him one of my gurus at this point because I can feel the love coming out of the pages when I read people's accounts of their interactions with him, even after his uh, Maha Samadhi, which was in 1973. But, but I mean, it doesn't have to be a dead saint that we're talking about either. There's um, you know living teachers that can have that same effect as well. So
0: Yeah, it's like, I remember Gangaji speaking of her experiences with Papaji and saying, you know, in spending time with him, she could see all the places in which she was, she wasn't as big as he was, she wasn't, she was limited in ways he wasn't, she was bound in ways he was free, and, Mm -hmm. and you get that contrast, and then you see what's possible, right, you see what's possible in another human being that way, and that's what the, I mean, literally, the word guru means remover of darkness, right, so, that's the purpose of the master, the guru, is to, to, cre- to create that contrast that removes and deconstructs the darkness, right? Or the density, I've den- maybe density is a better word.
1: And well, and you see how unnecessary it is. I mean, this is the fascinating thing too, is it doesn't have to be a threatening thing. I mean, if you're, if you're able to kind of get out of your own way and turn around and look at all of the... Unnecessary baggage you've applied to yourself, or you've been carrying around, or operating through—however, whatever words you want to use—it's um, actually kind of amusing. It's like here I am, this pure being, right? And I felt the need to gild the lily with with all of this stuff—you know, all of these beliefs I hold about mm-hmm. myself—or you know, to dishonor myself with self betrayal and malicious self talk, that kind of thing. And you know, all the while, I contained this same essence that's freely flowing over in this person. It's inspirational for sure.
0: Yeah. And I think too when we meet that it's we, we suddenly realize okay that that exists in me. That yeah. potential's in me. Mm-hmm. I can I can I can embody that, right? That's that's there in me.
1: That's a big shift. I yeah. remember that exact point in my journey when it suddenly dawned on me that oh. Oh. There's I'm not just this thing I always thought I was. You know, I because I had bought into the yeah. whole you know, I think everybody does. You know, we've just bought into this whole idea of how I fit into society and all these limiting notions about myself. And it turned out all of that was nonsense. I mean, it's, it's thrilling. It's intimidating because now suddenly it's a huge responsibility too. But when that light comes on, I mean, what a great metaphor, the whole world changes.
0: That's really incredible. And it's incredible too how, how deep the darkness or how deep the density is, how intent We human beings can be on the false, on on remaining false, when every beautiful possibility exists within what's true. You know, it's sad. It's Mm -hmm. sad. I I mean, I think that to me like, is what touches me so deeply about the season leading up to Christmas is love got killed. Mm. Love died. Love was rejected. It was put to death. And we do that in our own lives all the time. We put love to death all the time we crucified a hundred times a day in favor of falseness in favor of hate in favor of resentment in favor of greed you know all Mm -hmm. the things that all the passions of our ego and I think we have to really let that in as I see it we really have to let in that we crucify love we crucify the truth in us all the time and uh, forgive them for they know not what they do that's us (laughs) <laughs> forgive <Yeah. laughs> me, I didn't know what I was, I didn't, I didn't know what I was doing, I didn't realize how confused I was.
1: Oh, I know, yeah, well, I, I did it today, I had a moment today where mm. I lost it, but, um, mm. well, I mean, I don't know, yeah, I mean, it comes to, it does get tricky, though, I mean, let's, just to bring this down to earth a little bit, um, it's been coming up a lot in class, because some of the people in my class are at that sort of, they're in that sort of bardo where people around them are threatened by their light a little bit and it's causing problems in relationship. And we get into those questions of, well, how do you love all of it? How do you stay true to yourself and and give yourself the love that's appropriate and maintain the love for the other when things are going a little bit sideways? Because it feels like a choice needs to be made sometimes. And then we get into these very tricky questions of, well, is the choice I'm making, is that still love? You know, is it still a? I mean, we've talked before about how Sometimes love is, is tough. Sometimes love has to say no. Sometimes love is setting boundaries, that kind of thing.
0: Are you talking about an individual's need to decide between being true or fitting in?
1: That's one, one layer, for sure. Uh huh. Uh
0: huh. Yeah, I mean, there, there is, there's a density on this planet and you could call it violence or aggression, you could name it different things, you call it the devil, Satan, whatever, you can call it whatever you want, but it's a density that that hates truth, it hates love, There, there's a resistance to it, and um, as we step into that, we shouldn't expect everyone to love us, like us, adore us, we should expect it to be hard, because in a place where the level of consciousness is dense, and cynical, and uh, doubting and harsh, aggressive, especially in the United States and and, and mm-hmm. in certain places too, to exist in truth and love is an entirely different consciousness it's unrecognizable you know it's like walking into a foreign land and speaking english it's unrecognizable and and I think that from what I can tell, what most people are wanting, and certainly you know everyone goes through this is we want a way to fit in, we want a way to be of the earth. With others and uh, to feel connected to others, but the more the more that we desire truth, it's not that it disconnects us from others, it, it, it connects us deeply to others, but it connects us at a different level
1: okay, I think I'm talking about the old you can 't serve two masters <laughs> idea again, because um, mm. that's what it feels like what you're saying exactly is that you want to maintain connection with people in a familiar way um, because that's what they recognize, right and so it feels like more, it's yeah. more mutual that way yeah but yeah. there's a point where that has to be understood for what it is which is a false level of yeah. connection yeah
0: yeah most, most of the uh, much of the spiritual work I do with individuals begins with the, the, the question begins with a how and the how is usually some form of teach me how to be enlightened and maintain <laughs> my life as I know it Right, <laughs> and right. it's like nope Can't be done. Can't be done. You cannot live your life as you know it and be truthful and be real and be awake. It it can't be done. Your whole life is going to have to change. And that means, so at each juncture of that, at each crossroads, there's going to be a question of like, what do you really want? What do you really desire? Are you willing to let this thing deconstruct in your desire for truth? And it can be anything. And it's not that it's not that everything has to deconstruct; it's that we've got to be willing for everything to deconstruct, mm-hmm. uh, because that it's that it's in that willingness that there's a total desire for for what's real, um, and along the way that will put us into. We will meet crossroads where our relationships come into question, our philosophies come into question, our reference points, our fixations, our viewpoints, all of it. Our whole worldly orientation is going to come into question at some point or other.
1: You know, when you just said the word willingness, I got an image of freshly tilled ground, like a field, that the willingness is actually kind of softening us up so that something new can be planted there. Well, yes. (laughs) Maybe it's obvious, but... um, no, I,
0: sorry. I was delighting in your. I was delighting in that you're you're speaking one of Christ's parables now.
1: Am I really? Um, I don't know. Yeah, about that, the
0: think. about the seed that falls the, the seed that falls on good soil.
1: Oh, maybe you're right. Yeah, maybe that's where I got that. But I was just kind mm-hmm. of uh, sort of pondering to myself whether that that tilling of the field. I mean, it just makes us available to grace. Like until that. Yes. Until that willingness makes us pliable or makes us permeable, the truth can't quite find its way in, maybe. Well, I mean, it's there, but it's, it's not perceived by us, or it's not—like, yep. the opportunity has yet to be seized.
0: I love that, yes. That's the choosing. That's where mm. God can never be in violation of your free will, because it would cease to be God. And—, mm. and okay your free will is your choice to say yes to be available to the grace and that's the real question the question isn't does grace exist or not it's are you available to it yes and i love the way you've you've laid that i love what, the way you've said that are you permeable are you available are you willing are you good soil for that rain to fall on
1: mm-hmm.
0: right that's the whole question that's the whole question that's and just look how different that question is from the faith-based questions when they're centered around belief it's like are you available right which means to some degree like are you humble because your heart yeah. open and humble and ready for something more than what you already know
1: right right is your mind willing to stand down long enough to entertain new possibilities too
0: yes stand down i like that you know, the mind stand down <laughs> i like that yeah stand down mind that's good. <laughs> that's really good, yeah. Exactly. And that's you know, that's why Christ can say the meek shall inherit the earth, because it's it's meekness, it's it's not meek as in small and puny and weak, but meek as in open, available, humble, vulnerable, permeable. That's meekness. That's the inherit that's that's where God is inherited.
1: Yeah, nothing to prove. Right. And it just underscores the idea that we've talked about before, that the, the power is in the standing down. The power is in the willingness mm-hmm. and the, um, the the willingness to be vulnerable.
0: Yep. It takes more power and courage to open yourself vulnerably than it does to stand in some inflated position and say, Hmm, here, here I am. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Worship me. It does. Ego says. Right, yeah.
0: right. <laughs> I love, too, even, even regarding that question of belief. You know, there's a moment between Yogananda and his guru, maybe you've alluded to this before, where his guru is suggesting he wear some uh, amulets, astrological amulets. Mm-hmm. And Yogananda says to his guru, he says, I don't, I don't believe in any of that. He said, well, if this, world be- if this world depended on what you believed in, it would be a sad world indeed. <laughs> right. And I think there's something there's something very beautiful being spoken there in the sense that, you know, if this if the wholeness of life is confined to what you believe, it is a very, very small world.
1: That echoes the uh, anecdote you've told about your own teacher a number of times uh, when he said there's no room in the world for you. Yeah. Which sounds right. Sounds on its face like something very mean, but he was referring to the false you.
0: Yeah, Exactly. Only room for the real. There's a gate, there's a portal we all must pass through. It's like sometimes referred to it as a fiery door. And that fire burns everything that's false. You can't take anything false or dense through it, right? And it's a gate of truth. That's what the pearly gates are. Peter standing at the gates of heaven. All that is, is that it's the entrance into what's real. Nothing false can go through it. what just came to mind speaking of gates is enter by the narrow gate for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction and those who enter by it are many for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few i mean i think he's in calling it hard he's what he's doing is he's it's not hard jesus knows it's not hard He's, he also says, my yoke is easy and my burden light, right? He knows it's not hard. What mm-hmm. he's saying is you have to really want it. You have mm-hmm. to really be willing. You have to humble yourself, yeah. right? And, and that is hard on the ego. And then, you know, if there was any doubt about what the, what the goal of this whole path is, Christ lays it out pretty well in the example of his life. It's like, this is not about ego glorification. This is about total sacrifice of self, total loss of self,
1: I was thinking about the anecdote about the camel and the eye of the needle. <laughs> and, um,
0: mm-hmm, yeah.
1: Which is kind of the same idea that, you know, it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Because mm-hmm. a rich man is someone who's in love with their riches or someone who's attached to their wealth. That might mm-hmm. be in the form of an ego or that might mm-hmm. compose the majority of their egoic identification. So until you can lose that, you're not going through that narrow passage.
0: And the, and the richness can be one's own beliefs and ideas, concepts, mm-hmm. like all the things that one is hoarding. Yeah. And I love that. That's what this season is doing to us. And that's even true like from a Chinese medicine perspective. The, the metal element is about the breakdown and it's the condensing of everything. It's like everything's entering into its smaller form. Everything is decomposing. Or something precious.
1: I'll say more about that because I don't, I'm not familiar with this.
0: Well, the, the season following the earth element, which extends into usually like late September, mm-hmm. early October, when things are very dry and such. Then as the leaves fall and everything, we enter into the, the period of the cycle that's related to metal so think of like the, the condensing of everything, right? Everything flowers and opens in the spring and in the, fall, and in the fall it all condenses and decomposes and caves in, right? Oh,
1: I see, yeah.
0: Which is the yin element, right? Is everything's turning in. Mm-hmm. Um, but in that there's also a fortification that's happening, right? Things take, a, like the leaf becomes smaller, it condenses, the minerals return into a more condensed form, if you will.
1: More concentrated, more potent,
0: right? And it's also the season of grief, so it's the time where all that has been held is is to be processed and, rel- and relinquished, right? In favor of everything's being let go of, so that the light can return.
1: I'm reminded of an experience I had, um, probably the most powerful spiritual experience I've had, um, where I was shown, I was shown that death is not what we think it to be hmm. and i saw what was beyond it and i i sort of went through this reverie where i was thinking about you know very old people who've you know completing their lives only have you know short time left and how you know traditionally we, we just kind of pity that you know we grieve that we think of death as being this um, tragedy no matter if it happens to you know a, a baby a newborn or you know somebody who's had a good long hundred years of life. You know, we still sort of characterize it in Western culture as being this bad thing that we should be very sad about. And in this experience I had, I was like, why are we sad? We should be envious of these people. You know, it was, they're, they're so close to the light. It's right there on the other side of the veil. And, you know, they get to go into that soon. And I say light, you know, generically, but I mean, it was far more complex and, and beautiful and spectacular than that. But and it completely changed my, my orientation around death just as I think Jesus' example was meant to inspire us to think differently, that it's not mm. it's not cause for yeah. I mean it, of course, you know there's the grief of losing someone, but celebrate the transition because mm-hmm. we're all going to go there for one thing. And mm-hmm. I think Ram Das said death is 100 percent safe. There's nothing to be afraid of there. Mm-hmm. It's, it's Mm -hmm. bliss on the other side. And um, anyway, um, so as we're, you know, just to bring that around to what we started with, as this season gets darker and we're going into grief and concentrated, you know, sort of this profound involution that what breaks through when the light becomes apparent to us is absolute redemption. It's absolute return to brilliance. And there's, and there's joy, there's such joy in that, that it completely will wash out the darkness.
0: Yes. Well, there it is. You put it well. (laughs) You encapsulated the whole, the whole essence of it, which is, yep, the redemption that's coming. The redeeming love, the redeeming force of the all and its magnificent love. Yeah. I love that. Mm Mm-hmm.
1: hope you enjoyed this episode of into the mystery if you have any questions or would like to suggest a topic for a future episode please go to our patreon page patreon.com slash into the mystery all one word there you'll also find details on how you can support our work as well as join us for our monthly live event a transmission guided meditation and spiritual chat led by audi we hope to hear from you thanks again for listening